Welcome to the Worship Place Podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. Praise the Lord. We uh, heard a powerful word from Brother Andrew Muldowney, the son, on Wednesday. And let me just sum it up for you. The, the title was Promises in Clay Jars. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the glory may be shown to be from the Father and not from us. We have promises that the Lord has been making and we've been holding on to for a long time. But as I said, one day it's going to be worth it. You keep holding on to it. The Lord has blessed us with wonderful friends and and, and people of God who, who allow us to feel like we're a part of something bigger and that we're not all alone. And the Muldowney family is definitely one of those families that makes you feel like you're not alone. If you need prayer, you can ask one of the Muldowney crew to pray and they'll do it. Amen. I'm thankful for the Muldowney family. And we heard from Brother Andrew Muldowney Wednesday and now we're going to hear from his father this morning. I want him to come. Let's give the Lord a hand for the word that he's about to give us. We can't outgive God. I said it. You can't outgive God. Come on, come on, come on. Praise him. Give him a hand of praise. Because as much as he's done for you already in the service today, he's about to give you a word that just may keep you alive tomorrow and the next day. It just may keep your peace of mind from having a breakdown this next week. You better be thankful and say, God, anoint my ears that allow me to hear what you have for me and let it fall on fertile soil. Praise the Lord. Brother Jim Muldowney. Appreciate it. Sunday school's dismissed. Praise God. Well, we're ready to go. I don't know about you. July, what was it? July 9th, 1980, I walked into a church like this in California. And they were crazy as you were. Yeah, you actually scared me. And I'm used to being in a church where you can't hear a pin drop. Now I'm in a church you can't hear a hand grenade go off. And uh, and, and I was just a young guy, got in church, and I'm like, how in the, what are these people doing? Of course... As time went on, I gave into it because I gave into the Lord, not the church, but the Lord. And I realized, you know, I partied hard for Satan. I made a fool of myself. And then I see people in here praising and rejoicing and thanking God for what they did. I had to ask God to forgive me. That's an insult to God. You can praise the devil in a nightclub or at a concert and beat your head on their altar but when we come here to serve the living God, I owe God a big apology. Amen. Well, thank you all for uh, loving the Lord. And I want to give honor to all the ministers. Thank you, all you ministers. This is the neatest thing. I learn from them. I love them. I love to hear them preach and teach. I listen. You know, no one person has it all together. And God has made it that way. Not everybody's a doctor. Not everybody's a mechanic. You know, not everyone's a police officer or a fireman. Not, you know, we all get to glean from each other, and that's what I appreciate about that. And I want to give honor to Brother Licio. He's not here today. Him and his wife, they need a vacation. Let's thank God for them. 
And I thank God for the ministers and the church that gets behind them. Uh, that's kind of hard to find today in a church, so uh, appreciate it. Uh, if you can turn to Luke chapter. Yeah, yep, and Bryson, yeah. And there is Sunday school. There is Sunday school at 10 a.m. If you don't realize, it's, a, it's on this side, uh, right over here through these doors, and you'll see it. It's right in the corner. You can't miss it. There'll be people there talking, teaching, preaching, and probably praying for you. So praise God. Luke chapter 24. Uh, again, appreciate Brother Alicia. If, you, if this is your first time and you haven't heard him preach, you haven't heard the best probably preacher anywhere. Uh, he's definitely on the top of my list, and someone might think I say that because that's a cliche or maybe the right thing to say. I'm going to tell you something. I go other places and tell people that, so great. So you will get fed here. Praise God. And if, if you're here today, your first time, welcome. Don't make it your last. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. I'm going to try to go real quick. It's a familiar scripture. It's where uh, Jesus has died, and three days later he's risen again. He's being, you know, they say he's left the grave, and some women found him or didn't find him there. And now there's some people leaving that situation on a road called Emmaus. And this is what we got, and here's where we pick up. It says, and now, verse 13 says, and now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Your King James will probably say furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. He's undercover. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? God, can't you see what I'm going through? God's, what things? Hmm. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. That's a key word, concerning. Who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how... The chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and, cert and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went into the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Look what Jesus answers in verse 23. 
or 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I'll stop right there. Key word concerning. Okay. I will let you be seated here, but I want to preach about this. Go ahead and be seated. We're going to pray as you be seated. You've been standing long enough. I'll try to hurry this up. And I want to... I want to talk about, this is my subject this morning, I want to talk about what I learned on the road to Emmaus. There's a lot of things to learn on the road to Emmaus. Let's pray. Lord, Father, people have come here. They have needs. There's people right now, and they're sounding my voice. God, they're hurting. They're troubled. They don't know how to release this thing. They don't know what's going on in their life. I'm asking you to reach your hand out, God, and just heal. I'm believing you're going to heal, touch, and deliver people and give them answers to questions that have troubled them. Have your way. Speak in Jesus' name. Amen. What I learned on the road to Emmaus. By the way, the word Emmaus actually means hot springs. Now, my wife's from Arkansas, and uh, I got to be careful what I say because there's some other people from Arkansas who just moved here, and uh, I used to tease her because we're in long car trips, and I say I'd had to get to Arkansas. She'd say, "How?" I'd say, "Well, just go all the way to the end of the earth and make a left," and. Uh, you didn't do what you did. You laughed. Actually, I found out in Arkansas they have, uh, what do you call this, uh, Shakespeare festivals. You remember that? Yeah. They'd have Shakespeare and Renaissance. I'm thinking, man, you think Arkansas, they got stuff. They, 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 they sound smart over there. But, but they had this thing called Hot Springs, Arkansas. And... Uh, People would go there. There was these hot springs that just came out, man. They were like automatic natural saunas in the earth. And, I, of course, I like to read, you know, all these old gangsters from years ago would go to these hot springs, you know, because it was refreshing. You know, even Josephus wrote about Emmaus, and he said that it's, these are hot springs that people went to get healings. You know, it's almost like a natural well. And so that's really, you know, but it was mainly used for healing. But I want to talk about... What I learned on the road to Emmaus or the road to your healing. And there's some things you can learn on this road that will actually help you get healed. And I want to share them. Praise God. And God is mysterious. Even on the road to Emmaus, he was a mystery to them. Why is it there's people that they see Jesus before the main core see him? The 12 apostles didn't see Jesus. These guys 
wind up seeing, if you keep reading the rest of the story, he breaks bread and he's revealed and they see him. Why is it that the strangers who are not the core get to see things that the core don't see first? And I've learned even in apostolic circles sometimes, you know, we think we get everything first. But sometimes God can go to another people and show them things in colleges where he can break out in revival and have 24-7 prayer. He doesn't always go to the core. But eventually he gets to the core if the core will believe what's going on around them, that it is the hand of God no matter who he goes to. So amazing things I've learned uh, on the road to Emmaus. There's, there's two ways God operates, at least two ways. I'm not saying it's limited to this, but look at this. Two ways he operates. Number one. God will operate in a move of God with no one's faith, but just a lot of unity going on, you know? It's almost like God bypasses his rule of thumb of having to have faith if there's a lot of unity and love and compassion going on, right? Uh, God heals and does miracles. Jesus fed 5,000. There was no faith. They were actually wondering where they're going to get the food to feed, uh, uh, get the food to feed them. But no one had faith. But these, they, but these people, but there was compassion there and unity. They wanted to hear the word of God. And here's something I want you to catch. Guess what? These people were not the core. These people were unfamiliar with Jesus. And they didn't have to have required faith. Right? See where I'm going? These people were unfamiliar with Jesus. He was a mystery to them. The reason he didn't reveal this to the men on the road to Emmaus is they were taking a road that they were familiar with. They were going to their house. There's a doctor at Duke University. He talks about how to save your memory. And he, he, he says, I take a different route home every day. He says, when I go into my house, <laughs> he turns the lights off and tries to operate. He says you have these things called dentrites in your brain that they're like muscles and you got if you don't exercise them before long your memory when you go old right you lose out so he tries to practice different things and uh, he tries to grow his brain and 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 there's a lot to be said about that but it works the same way spiritually we have to exercise uh, unfamiliarity in our lives okay number okay now number two. Listen to this, second thought. Faith, there's not going to be no miracle if there's no faith, okay? You're not in a group setting, right? It's just like Jesus went to Nazareth, what happened? Couldn't, they couldn't heal. He couldn't heal many except just a few folks. Why? These people were familiar with Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter's son? They were familiar. Now, I heard of someone told me a message the other day that they heard someone preach, are you a settler or a pioneer? Settlers always get the same thing. Pioneers get this new horizon they've never seen before. Anybody see that thing that went viral, that monkey that was caged up for years and they let him go outside? Did anybody see that? 
On Facebook, yeah, yeah. And they play the video, and the monkey walks. He gets a hug first from somebody. That was probably daddy. And then he walks out, and he goes like this. He was in awe. That's what we've lost. The awe. When I received, July 9th, 1980, I went into this place. He scared me. Then I finally realized the devil's probably just putting these thoughts in my mind. I better go ahead and just commit to God, right? And all of a sudden, I got the Holy Ghost. Demons came out of me. I had a whole long story. And then when I walked out of the church, I saw the trees. God be my witness. The trees look different. That happened to you? Everything looks beautiful. Everything looks different. I was in the military. I got back to the barracks. They have these big bathrooms. They got like 20 sinks in them. And, oh, and I went back. I didn't say a word to nobody. I walked by them. They all started staring at me. I didn't say a word. They stared at me. They started looking at me. Something was around me, you know. Finally, for the first time in my life, I experienced the awe, A-W-E, the awe of God. I was like Jacob. I, I, I put a pillar there in, in, in Genesis 28, and he has a dream that, man, this is the stairway to heaven. I didn't, this is the house of God. He called it Bethel. He goes, this is the house of God. I knew it not. When are we ever going to be able to consistently walk into the house of God and have this awe of God that God is here? We're missing the awe of God. And the awe of God does not come to people That are familiar. Somehow we need to be like that doctor from Duke and constantly explore areas where we can be more obedient to God. You see, these are the areas you go to where God starts moving. Are you a settler or a pioneer? Listen to this. When God becomes familiar, predictable, and commonplace, he can't move effectively. Notice, the disciples on the road to Emmaus were familiar with that road. This is how they, they went home every day. So Jesus was a mysterious person to them because they took a road most traveled and always traveled. Listen to this. When unfamiliar, we can move into greater ways because his ways are past finding out. Look at Paul. Paul was on the road to Damascus. Probably not familiar with such a road like that. He's probably been down it before, but he's from Tarsus. He probably wasn't real used to that road. God wasn't mysterious to him, but came straight out, blinded him, and revealed himself to him. Paul was not familiar with God. If you're here today and you're saying, I, no, no miracle can happen to me. Nothing great can happen to me today because I haven't learned the Bible yet. I haven't read from Genesis to Revelation. I don't really know this God this much. I've heard about him. Let me tell you one thing. You have a greater advantage over us. If you know nothing about God, God promised not to be mysterious to you. He will reveal himself to you every time. I don't know what it is that when I pray for people here, we get results. When I go out on the street and pray for people, I get them every time. They're not familiar with him. So God's a mystery to those who are familiar, those who want to be settlers. So God gave Paul a blinding revelation, right? He closed his natural eyes, but he opened his spiritual eyes. Paul learned a lesson that day that who, uh, who think they, you know, listen to this, those who think they 
see get blinded, and those who say they can't see have their eyes opened. God blinded Paul to teach him to open spiritual blinded eyes like in Acts 26, 18. God actually gives him his calling that you may open the eyes of the blind and speak light into darkness. There's something about the greatest trial. You want to, I'm going to talk about destiny here in a minute. You want to know what, you want to find out what your destiny is? Most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, your destiny will be found in the greatest struggle you've ever had in your life. That's where you'll find it. And that struggle will be so hard and so tough that you're going to say, I'm unfamiliar with this area. God will put you in places. You're going to wonder, how did I get here? And I tried to get out on my own. How do I get out of this? I feel like God's far from me. No, God's getting ready to reveal some great things to you. Like Brother Tackett said, if you'll just hang on, hang on, hang on, don't give up. God always visits the unfamiliar. And we wind up, Paul got blinded for three days. You can imagine me struck with blindness, come to find out that was going to be the whole theme of his ministry, open blind eyes, but it's going to be spiritual blind eyes. So some of the greatest trials you're going to go through, you're going to find out when it's all said and done and you can step into the future, you're going to find out, oh, that was my calling. If you have a problem in your marriage, you may have a calling to help married people. If you had problems like me, I had bad PTSD, had real bad. Now I'm in a deliverance ministry, you know, and I want to be there and I love it. And it's, it's the road I'm supposed to be on. I'm talking about things I've learned on the road to Emmaus, on the road to healing. God wants you healed. God wants you whole. You're not supposed to have fear. You're not supposed to have hopelessness. You're not supposed to have doubt all the time. You're not supposed to be in the dark all the time. He's got you on a road to take you to a place called healing. Stay on the road. Now, if you give me 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, I want to show you some things that will help you stay on the road and how to find your, uh, your destiny. I read to you several times. What is, uh, we'll just turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Got it up when you get it up. We're familiar with this. But I read to you and you're hearing several times on the road to Emmaus, Jesus kept, kept, kept bringing back all the prophets and the Psalms and trying to tell them, these things were written about me. These things were concerning me. I had something, he, Jesus said, I had something in the Old Testament, a book written in the Old Testament, right? I'm going to give that to you in a second. Bounce back off. Give me that one on 139 of Psalms. I'll, I know it. I'm changing direction, but I'll, I'll get back here again. But Jesus said, I had things written about me. All, John the Baptist said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Jesus said, he, you know, that was John the Baptist, but he was making an open door away from me, preparing a way for me. Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Jesus had to die on a cross. Jesus had to walk, drive into Jerusalem with a donkey. He had to fulfill all these scriptures written about him. But guess what? There is a book in heaven written about us. I'm going to read it. Listen. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. This is before you were born. Next verse. 
My eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book, oh, there's a book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. I don't have time to get in a lot of depth on that. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There, God has a book written out ahead. He knows our whole lifetime. He knows the destiny he has written for me. He knows he has the destiny written for you. You're going to be able to be just like Jesus. There's things written about me that are concerning me. Not you, but concerning me. I have a book written about my destiny that I'm supposed to fill. Now I want to know how do I get in line or get on that road to the destiny I got. God has planned me to be filled with the Holy Ghost. God has written about me and you concerning us that we're to lay hands on the sick, speak in tongues, Cast out devils, drink any deadly thing, and will not harm. These are things written about us concerning us, concerning me and you. God has a destiny for us. I don't want to be like you. I don't, I'm tired of you being like somebody else. I'm going to let you inspire me. But you're going to stay on your road. I'm going to stay on my road. There's a road to healing. I can't get on the same road you get on to get my healing. i got to get lined up with my test destiny that God has for me. I want to know how to get there. I'm excited, man. I might have to drop this thing and do a lap. I promise I'll be back. Look at this. Got it? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, rejoice evermore. You know, that was written way ahead of time for you to do. That's your calling. You mean every time something goes wrong? Yep. Next verse. Look at this. Pray without ceasing. I feel unworthy to pray. I don't care. I feel unworthy to pray. The Bible says pray. So I got to pray. I was called to pray. I have a destiny to pray. And look at the next verse. And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, uh-oh, concerning you. We always take verse 18 as that's the will of God in Christ Jesus. No, he's talking about verse 16, 17, and 18. In other words, I don't know my destiny. And I got a funny feeling. I really Here's how you know your destiny, right? When you get on the right road to your destiny, hell starts picking you apart. Hell comes after you. I remember watching World War II movies. They're flying bombers into Germany. The first 10, 15 minutes, nothing. But when they got 10 miles outside of Berlin, here comes these bombs going off all around the bombers. And, and he's just giving you an indication. If it was night, you wouldn't know how close you were. But when the bombs start going off, you know you're close to your target. And better than that, hell knows you're close to his target. He don't want you to hit. Hell is our greatest indicator of where we are in God. Sometimes we say, God, how come you haven't talked to me? I'll tell you why. I'll let, tell, I'll let hell talk to you. I don't need to talk to you. They'll tell you. Gideon did it. Spoke, God spoke to him several times. He wouldn't do it. He snuck down in the enemy's camp. He heard what they said. Okay, I'll do it. When there's something about hell should be a confirmation to us. When all hell breaks loose, we are, what are Christians seeking comfort for? We should be seeking confirmation, not comfort. Paul said this, the man that owns these garments 
Trials and afflictions and bonds and afflictions await you. And they tried to stop him through prophecy. He said, hey, I'm ready to give my whole entire life for this message. That was a confirmation not to stop where you're at, but keep going where you're at. We need to seek confirmation instead of comfort. Now, praying. Look at this. Rejoice evermore. Give me a... 12.4, Isaiah. We are supposed to rejoice evermore. Did you know when Jesus said you're persecuted in Matthew chapter 5? It says, leap and rejoice. In the original Greek, it means this. Do a 360. Get happy. Like you just won the lottery. Why did Jesus say that? Because he wanted you to know you're on the right road. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. So he... <laughs> You're on the right road. Sometimes I wonder if it's going too good What road, if I took an exit. So I've learned, <laughs> I've learned to just rejoice. Now, I admit it. There's days I don't do it. And I praise God through my teeth. You know what that is. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. Okay. But we're supposed to rejoice in tribulation. What did James chapter 1 say? Count it all joy when you fall into divers or different temptations, right? And then you keep reading a little further. James chapter 1, read a little further. <clears throat> it says, because, you know, tribulation worketh patience and patience hope. Then you read a little further, right around verse, I think it's five, one five of James. He goes, Uh, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally to all men. With him all, he will not upbraid you for it. He just got done talking about tribulation and trials. Now he goes into asking wisdom. You know what he was really saying? You're going to need, some of your trials you go through, you're going to need wisdom as to why you're going through them. And this is why we rejoice evermore, and pray without ceasing. That's why it's the will of God concerned. You're supposed to pray about these trials you're going through <clears throat> so God can tell you what the purpose is behind it so that you will rejoice. Case in point, Paul gets a thorn in the flesh. People like to seek comfort, don't like that. He gets a thorn in the flesh. He asked God three times, remove it. There he is, seeking comfort. Remove it. In my house, my wife says, cancel it. I'm not allowed to go through trials in my house. My wife cancels them before I can have them. Paul prays three times, Lord, take this thorn from me. And then God finally appears to him and gave him an answer as to why he's having the trial. He says, my grace is sufficient for you because when you're weak, then am I strong. Because if you read verses before it, Paul admitted I got puffed up because God was using me more than anybody else. So if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. It took three times for Paul to ask to get an answer, and he got the answer, and he realized, oh, much gladly will I rejoice in my tribulation that the Power of Christ 
will rest upon me. Do you see this combination of rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. The trial you're going through could be the very thing keeping you in a place or on a road God wants to use you in the miraculous, win the loss, get people delivered, get people healed. And I'll tell you, when you get a word of wisdom from God, you will be glad what happened to you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you because you're supposed to, when you're going through a trial, this is, this is your remedy for your trials is rejoice in it, pray about it. Do you get an answer as to why this is happening? And then in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You will start thanking God and rejoicing to God when you find out that what he allowed to happen to you actually benefited you. And, hey, God really does love me instead of most people saying when bad things happen to me, God don't love me. But when you get a word from God. <clears throat> I ran into Mateo. He used to go to church here years ago. And uh, ran into him at Home Depot. If you want to find me, I'm at Home Depot or Lowe's. Same with Matt. <laughs> I'm going to punch in one day, see what they say. Make a little, little, get a little loose change along the way. So anyway, I met him there. He started talking. And uh, poor camera guy. I'm a pacer. I ran into him. He says, man, I got to tell you what happened. He said, brother, I got in a bad car accident. He flipped it to his phone, man. He got in a bad car accident. Like, man. And then he said, so they made me get an MRI. So he goes in after the car accident, gets an MRI just to check, see if everything's okay. They found some cancer. And it was sitting on some sort of artery that the artery was actually leaking, but the cancer, this is what he told me. I don't understand all this. He said, but the cancer grew around the artery so it wouldn't bleed. And they caught the cancer in the early stages. <laughs> Rejoice evermore when you get in car accidents. Pray and find out when you get the MRI that God was doing me a favor by having that accident because the accident saved my life. And now he is giving thanks evermore knowing this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning him. Trust God. We need to trust God with our trials, our problems, oh, and our failures. Whew, Jesus. If I drop this microphone, I'll be back. Two types, of, two types of trials. The one where the devil afflicts you because you're on the right road. He don't like it. And bombs go off. Then there's another type of trial. Well, we do it. Ain't the devil. We self-inflict ourselves. Right? And, and this, is what, this is the plan of the enemy. This is why you've got to learn this things concerning you, you got to fulfill it because you're actually on the right road, and the devil's really good at this. I believe it's Hosea. I didn't give you this. It's Hosea chapter 6, 1. 6, 1. It says this. <clears throat> it says, I would have soon healed Israel. I was about to heal them. And he said iniquity was found. 
just like Balaam and Balak, curse these people. Because they're just moving from country to country, tearing anything in their way like a tornado. He said, you got to find a way. He hired Balaam. you got to find a way to curse this people. And that's what the devil does to us. We're on the right road. <clears throat> Bombs blowing up. We're about, we're about ready to hit Berlin and take this whole thing out. And the enemy says, I've got to do something to curse this people. i got to get them to complain. I got to get them to hate themselves. I got to get them to hate someone else. I got to get them to blame someone else in church that hurt their feelings. I got to get them to blame the pastor for not shaking my hand. I got to do all these things quick because the target they're getting to is going to take out my kingdom that I had not only in their lifetime, I had from generation to generation to generation. That's how close you are. You're getting ready. The Isaiah 58 says you're going to restore the foundation of many generations by your repentance today. You're going to restore the foundations of many generations. In other words, something has been in your generation after generation and after generation. And if you will give God thanks and rejoice, you will raise up the foundation of many generations. And God's counting on me and you to do that. Why don't you be that person? Why don't I be that person? This is how you can be that person. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And in everything give thanks. When everything goes wrong. this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you I don't know what my destiny is okay but the road you're on you're supposed to rejoice evermore I don't know what to do that's something you can do why don't you rejoice that you don't know your destiny because more than likely you're on that road you just don't know it But he wants to take you out and off it. Now, I want to share with you how to talk to God on this road. There's a right way and a wrong way to talk to your spouse. All the men, I see men going like this, yep. You're not married yet, go to a marriage class. Might as well get a head start on your spouse. <laughs> me and my wife, she made me read these uh, five love languages. And her battle, his battle. What's that other one? Yeah, men are from Mars, we, women from Venus. And I'm glad I read them. The time I got done reading all them books, I had to, these guys know what they're talking about. Okay. Now, I want to, I want to, I want to tell you, I want to show you how to pray so God will talk to you. Okay. Uh, give me that Second Chronicles 16.9. Now, from here on in, you got to get this part. Show how to talk to God on your road to healing. Because there's certain protocol God has, and he just doesn't move from it. It said, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And then the rest, you know, he, he said he done foolishly, and uh, he's going to have wars after that. But the eyes of the Lord, it's not talking about the two eyes of God. There's seven eyes before the throne of God, which is called the seven spirits of God in the book of Revelation. 
And those, that's what God's going to judge us by on Judgment Day, those seven spirits, spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and light and knowledge and fear of the Lord, right? He's going to use that. That's why we should learn that too. But the, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, just like he asked Satan in, in the book of Job, where you been? To and fro throughout the whole earth. He's watching. He's watching where God's going. He got to keep an eye on what God's doing. Your angels do always behold the face of their father. Well, angels do it. Devil does it too. He looks, right? <clears throat> and he's watching. God's going through it. He's finding someone that wants to be perfect towards him. And when he finds that, he lands there. But he only lands in places where people are talking his language. Our thing is we need to talk to God about what he wants to talk about. Jesus says, your heavenly father already knows what you have need of. And then he says... But pray this, our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day your daily bread, right, the Lord's prayer. You start praying like that, now God, oh, you're talking about what he wants to talk about. You ever, you ever, you ever talk to people, whether in church or out in public, you want to talk about something, but they don't want to talk about it. And you try, and here, here they are, you ready? Watch my eyes, Ready? They're talking to you, and they're going, their eyes are going to and fro. Going to and fro, because you're not talking what they want to talk about. And if you bring up underwater basket weaving, and oh, that's, I was waiting for you to bring that up. <laughs> well, you get it. Now you got their attention. Now you got to get your scuba gear out and go down with them, whatever you do. That's up to you. But the idea is wandering eyes are, you don't have the person's attention. You're not talking about what they want to talk about. And that's why the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong. Because when he finds someone that talks repentance, uh-oh, uh-oh. So, we need to talk what he talks. And here's some of the things. I made a little list. I'll hurry up. The Lord's Prayer is one. Not that you repeat it word for word, but that you actually use it as an outline and talk about, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Oh, I'm more interested in your will. I have needs. Right? That's a great indicator where your heart's at. Here's what the Lord wants to talk about. He wants to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection, just like he did on the road to Emmaus. He talked about the death, burial, and resurrection. He likes to talk about that. He likes to talk about repentance and commitment. He likes to talk about other people's needs. He likes to talk about God has a burden, the burden of the Lord in all the Old Testament you read. He wants to talk, God, what's your burden? I got problems down here, but God, what's your burden? When's the last time you asked God, hey, God, what's on your heart? What's, on your, what's your burden? What are you having trouble with? God, can you count on me to be that one, that burden bearer? Can you be that burden bearer through intercession? accessory prayer or helping someone out God likes you to talk about what he wants to talk about and that's his burden <laughs> now speak his words God likes when you talk about his words God loves it that love you ever hear your kids repeating the same thing you said hopefully nothing bad you know it's like that old joke of uh you know you can always tell a redneck's kid when he goes to show and tell he pulls out a siphon hose just an old that's an old redneck joke but anyway, we, you know, but the fathers and sons, you know, they do the, they do the same thing. 
you know? He wants us to speak his words. The deep things of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. God doesn't want to talk about surface relationship anymore. He wants to talk about, hey, God, you know what? I want to go deeper. Ooh, the eyes of the Lord go, bing. That gets God's attention. I want to, get, I want to do the deep things of God. And then, I, and then here it is, thanksgiving, appreciation, and praise, and a feeling of awe for God. When you are in that place, the eyes of the Lord stop when you start praying and talking about what he wants to talk about. And this is what happened, and I'm almost, I'm going to get to my last one here. This is what happened. They started talking, and he didn't reveal himself on the road to Emmaus, but they were talking about that resurrection, and he acted like he didn't know what was going on. And they finally came to that fork in the road. Everyone in their prayer life or the walk with God, you're going to come to a fork in a road because God hasn't revealed himself and nothing's happened. Are you going to be able to ask Jesus to come where you're going well, you invite him into your world. That's a fork in the road. And they came to that fork in the road. Next thing you know, they invite him to his house. And they gave him some bread. Guess what happened? Their eyes were open. Their eyes were completely open. And then he disappeared. You know why our problems don't disappear? You know why our doubts don't disappear? You know why they don't disappear? Because we didn't do what they did. The whole time on the road. Didn't talk to them. Didn't reveal himself once. All of a sudden they got in the house. They had supper. They, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open up, I will come to him. He will sup with me and I with him. That's personal relationship. Heart worship. And guess what? They handed Jesus some bread to break. When you start handing his word to him. Something that tastes good to him. Guess what happens? He takes it. He breaks it. When's the last time you quoted God's word back to him? Well, he already knows. I don't mean nothing. He don't know nothing. All he knows is when he gets to your house and you let him in your front door, he's expecting you to hand some scriptures to him, read it to him, and say, Lord, break the bread of life. I want to have fellowship with you. And the more bread you break to him, guess what happens? He disappears. But that's not the good part. Your doubts disappear. Your hopelessness disappears. Your discouragement disappears. Your problems seem to disappear. Everything disappears because he took it with him. Almost done. But that's how I pray. And I, and I, I want to teach you how I pray. And not that I have the best way. I'm always learning from others. But I start quoting God's word to him. You, you said this, Lord. You said this. Woke up one morning and uh, didn't realize I was going to be praying for somebody that day. But I woke up one morning and I was battling some doubt. <clears throat> and it, this, little, this little thought in my head, well, what if you pray and it don't happen? I'm like, ah. So I started pulling out some scriptures. Matthew chapter 7, asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knock it shall be open unto you. Eh, it didn't do much. That voice kept coming back, but what if he doesn't answer it? So I pulled out another scripture and quoted it. Voice came back again. What if he don't answer it? I said, oh, man. Then I pulled this one scripture out. It's Isaiah 65, 24. It says, before they called, I answered. And while they were yet speaking, 
I heard them. And all of a sudden, all the doubt just disappeared. How can I say he didn't answer it? It says he answered it before I called. That night, I went somewhere, and a particular person asked for prayer. Bad pain, bad pain, on the left side of their body. I wanted to leave. I had places to go. I always got places to go. He said, will you pray? I said, yeah, I'll pray. So I prayed. God healed him right there on the spot, just like that. Because I broke bread early that day. I had fellowship with Jesus that day, that moment. And you're going to have questions that come up and doubt. Jesus said, why do doubts arise in your heart? He's asking why, because you just ain't pulled the bread out. Well, God, you know I'm human. Yeah, I know it. And this is it. Last but not least, Isaiah 43, 26. This is kind of like what I just said. I want to share with you. If you'll pray like this, you will start getting answers. You'll see things change. Are you ready? This is it. I'm done right here. Isaiah 43 and 26. God said, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou, or you, that thou mayest be justified or acquitted. Right? He said, put me in remembrance. Oh, God doesn't know what's going along in Jerusalem in the past three days. you got to put him in remembrance. But God, you see my financial dilemma. God don't see it. you got to say it. God, you see I need a healing in my body, and it's hurting me day in and day out. God says, I don't see it. No one's told me. See, you're on the road to Emmaus. You're on your road to healing. you got to let God know what's going on. Yes, he knows, but he wants you to say it. It's like for the record, and this is a little bit of like the courts of heaven. You ready? He said, put me in remembrance. Tell him. God, your word. God says, I want evidence. Well, God, it says right there in your word, I'm healed. Yeah, but still tell me. Still tell me. Faith is the substance of things. The evidence of things hoped for. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I got to, you ready? This is it. This is it. There's a courtroom setting in your temple. Your heart is the jury. God is the judge. And you're defending yourself, and you got to convince the jury that this is true. That morning, the jury, before I went out, wasn't convinced. It wasn't convinced at all. What if God, if I pray and God don't answer? Yeah, hung jury right here. I had faith on one side, and the other side wasn't faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So what God wants us to do is to produce, bring forth your cause. That's your problem, right? Put me in remembrance. Remembrance of what? The Word of God. God loves when you talk about His Word and what He promised. The problem is we stop too short at the fork of the road, giving just a little bit of scriptures, or I should say a little bit of evidence, I read a report back in the 70s 
What grand juries, they did, a, they did a study on grand juries. What did grand juries, what made the deciding factor in them deciding a case? And it had nothing to do with the plaintiff nor the judge, anything said. All they said, everything hinged on what the, the, uh, uh, the defendant said. They could, and the judge can bring up some good things, the, 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 uh, the, the, the prosecuting attorney can bring up some really great things, but they said it. they didn't listen to none of that. Everything hinged on the jury. And it's the same way when we make prayer and we're trying to go after the promises of God and we give just a little bit of evidence that may not be enough to convince the jury. Guess what? You, hey, if it's got to be a hung jury today, great. It's a hung jury today. I'm bringing this case case back to court the next day, and I'm going to bring it up, and I'm going to bring all the evidence I can possibly bring up until I can convince the jury. There's got to be something I can say out of God's word. If you'll stand with me, there's got to be, there's got to be something I can say to convince my jury, my heart, because God knows. I know God's promises are true. The problem is, is getting the jury to believe it. And the more evidence I can give out of the word of God. Okay, that didn't work. I'll go to the Old Testament. Let me get some Old Testament promises. And I'll bring them before God. And then all of a sudden, I'll probably say something. Five or ten or twelve scriptures into the journey. I'm feeding Jesus the bread. And then he's going to break it. And then my eyes are going to be open. And then all of a sudden, all my doubt is going to be dissolved. Like in the book of Daniel, God said he is a dissolver of doubt but if you don't bring enough evidence to dissolve the doubt the jury's going to be a hung jury but guess what i've got enough scriptures i can repeat it over again if that didn't work yesterday i'll do it again today it works it works it works let's thank the lord god i thank you this thing works now somebody needs healing today if you got a disease well i want to pray with you we want to pray with you You've got maybe anxiety. I want to, we want to pray with you. I, we just believe God will deliver you. And if you're not familiar with God, you've got a greater chance than anybody else. You've got special grace if you're unfamiliar. Like Brother Alicio said, I love what he says. If you can't approach God as a saint, approach him as a sinner. Now you become unfamiliar. And anytime you commit to God, some people say, I can't commit to God, I won't finish it. You'll never see the miraculous until you commit to God to a place you're unfamiliar. And when you do that, God's going to change your life. I want to welcome people to the altar as I'm talking. And, and some of you that don't need help, come to the altar. It makes other people come to the altar. And I want you to talk to God and present your case to him. Because the more you talk, you operate by voices. My wife told me to turn the fan off this morning. I was dead as a log. I did not, I'd have never convinced myself to get out of bed that early. She said, go turn that off. I heard that voice. I jumped up. She put something in my head that made me want to do it. Our problem is we're not putting nothing in the head, in the heart. We don't want to get the jury to go in our favor. So just keep speaking the word of God. And if you can't quote it, just speak something like it and say, God, there's my evidence.
Yeah, that's it. That's all you got to do. And keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. Lord, I rebuke hung juries. I rebuke them in Jesus' name. God, I pray, give us a gift of faith right now to move on people right now. Right now. Lord, we are not settlers. We are pioneers. God, we're going to go into places that were unfamiliar. You promised to meet us in unfamiliar places. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I come against any spirit, any blocking spirit, anything trying to hinder us. In the name of Jesus, I want you all to be praying and praising God right now. Saints, you need to be praying for others. Be praying for others. Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, I come against anything coming against us. All powers that try to come against us to hinder us. God, the bombs are blowing up right now. The bombs are blowing up. Hell is scared right now. Hell's scared you're going to pray. (laughs) Hell comes after you. God's got a witness protection plan for you. He tries to hinder you from prayer. Hey, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. Come on, if you all just come, anybody wants to come, you want to pray. You need prayer for something. If you need prayer for healing, stand in the middle here. We'll pray with you. God wants to move. That's it.